while, while we're waiting for a bag, let me just share a testimony. You know we had the Commonwealth Games and we had the drop-in center in Roland Street? Well, our counselor, our local counselor, Councillor Dawn Critchlow, came on the very first day and visited us. And um, she couldn't be more amazed about what we're doing. So this week she came twice again. And on Tuesday she brought all of her staff along and she, she wanted them to see what's happening. And on Thursday she brought a guy along that she, she thought he could help us. So I just want to say we have favor with God and we have favor with our council. So that is absolutely amazing. And um, so all glory and all praise to Jesus, hey? Bradley, you're up. Good morning. So we have our last, our last week on doing a finished work of the cross. I believe Ben preached on the blood last week, which is good. Um, hey, we didn't do... Oh, we did. We didn't do this one. Why don't we just pray? Put your hand on your head. Father, we pray that you would open up our minds so that they do not get in the way of our hearts. For we know that the, the message of truth lies in our hearts, but our heads sometimes get in the way. So we ask that you would remove any of our religious mindsets, any of the blockages that we may have, so that we would truly repent and that we would turn from our wrong view towards you to see the correct view. Amen. Okay, I'm just going to try and get out of this light a bit. Now, I did miss one part the week before, um, and I'm going I'm to bring that through. The reason being is because the uh, two of the topics today... Um, We've already touched on when I did the sermon on the gospel. What is the gospel? So I don't need to spend too much time laboring that point. Um, and then, so I'm going to labor two other points on, on either side of that. Um, firstly, I want, to, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, I've got water somewhere. I think I've got water, mate. Thank you. Um, I want us to note that as part of the first point today is our debt has been cancelled. We have died to the law and the devil has been disarmed. Isn't that victorious? I just want to say up front that any message that you hear, no matter how challenging it is to you as an individual, because when, when the truth comes and, and our lives are not aligned with that truth, that becomes challenging. It is a challenge. It's meant to be a challenge. Jesus constantly challenged his disciples. However, if you are left with no victory or way out, and you are left feeling heavy and burdened after that message, I want to I suggest you, and I, wanna, I actually want to say that that is, it's not the, the good news. Like I, I sat in a reformed church as a young believer, and, and I tell you what, there was, enough, there was enough good in a message to make me feel saved but enough in the message to, to leave me feeling like I was still failing and needed to adjust myself to fall in alignment with what God wanted. And I lived in this 
the schizophrenia, which is not the way that we're meant to feel. Uh, the gospel, when it is proclaimed, the, the true gospel, brings about a challenge to the life of lack in which we are living, but at the same time, it leaves you empowered. Like, I'll, I'll walk away from a, from a message of the gospel, and, and I will feel, wow, that area in your life, Brad, is, you know, that thing there is, is not victory for you. But I actually leave with a skip in my step because I know that God has given me the absolute way in which to live in that victory. And I actually get excited about leaving a meeting and going and applying that truth to my life because I know it's going to bring freedom. Now, that's not taught in a lot of churches. There's enough negative to keep you coming back next week, to keep you trying harder. And I want to say to you that that is not the good news of what Jesus has done, of who he is, and who he has caused you to be. Ephesians chapter 2. Any accusation, the devil's name means accuser. If you feel at all accused in any way whatsoever, let me tell you, it's not God. In actual fact, he says, I shall remember your sin no more. So if there's any remembrance of it, then it can't be God because God himself said he can't. So why is that sometimes proclaimed from the front? Bringing into remembrance. Let's preach enough so that you can remember the sin that you've, the sin, and I use that in inverted commas very loosely, that you've committed. It's not, for me, it is not a message of freedom. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. And that means that God has made us and himself both one. And he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments that have been expressed in ordinances. So that he might create in, him, in himself one new man in place of the two and so making peace. That's a very big scripture. What it is is that once there were two men. There was the old, the first Adam and the second Adam. And you were part of, sorry, not the second Adam. Let me rephrase that. The last Adam. That's the correct terminology. There is no second Adam. Jesus was the last Adam. If there's a second Adam, then there can be a third and a fourth and a fifth, right? Which distorts it. The last Adam seals the deal. We were in, at one point, in the first Adam. He then makes us one, and in bringing us into one, he creates in himself one new person. That means that you are completely, get this now, completely one with, with Jesus. You are one with the Messiah or the Christ, however you want to interpret that. You are one with him. You are completely locked up in him, which means that you are completely locked up in God himself because Jesus, the Son, is one with the Father. The scriptures say it like this, that you are in Christ, you are hidden in him. You are hidden in God. So, so it's very difficult for Satan to snatch you because you are... If in order for him to snatch you, he, you would have to, he'd have to tear you away from God himself because you are one with God, which means that he would have to separate God himself. Now, we know that that's an impossibility. And because he's made you one, he's given you peace. Now, the word peace is the word shalom. It comes from the Hebrew word shalom. And that word is not just an absence of war. It doesn't mean that everything's 
airy-fairy and that there's no difficulties and struggles. What peace is, is that there's a complete rightness. So peace also speaks of healing, physical, emotional, spiritual. It's, it speaks of, of joy. It speaks of a, um, a content. It doesn't just speak of, uh, you know, I'm in a bit of turmoil at the moment. In the midst of turmoil, there is still peace. Because peace is an inner state of being. It's not an external, every external force cannot change your peace if, if you don't allow it to. Romans 10 verse 4 says this, For in Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So Christ himself, now, we, now remember, as Gentiles went under the law, but, it's, but it's, the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up today is, is because we in the Western church have thought that we still need to apply some of the moral codes to, to us, to our way of living, to, in order to bring people, with, and at times it's a, it's a, the, the desire is right, the method is wrong. And it and, and doesn't matter how good a desire is, if the method is incorrect, there, there is no good outcome. You, you know what I'm saying? Do you understand that? Like, you can have the best desire in your heart, and, and we all do. Most people, most preachers, most ministers, they've got a good desire. Their, their desire is that they want to see people free. They want to see God's kingdom come. They want to see God's rulership come. They want to see people not go to hell. They want to see people go and spend eternity with God. They want to see people set free from all the issues they have. However, the methodology doesn't, doesn't align with the goodness of the heart. If your method is wrong, the outcome is always going to be harmful. And so what we, what we have done is we've applied and we've twisted and turned it and manipulated and, and, and shaped it into our cultural um, package of today. And we, what we actually are doing is we've, we've, we've modified and remastered the old covenant law into a set of moral codes that you need to fulfill in order to bring pleasure to God, walk in freedom, gain peace, overcome sin, in inverted commas. And what it does is it creates damage because as we'll read in, in, in my last uh, uh, verse today is you'll see that that actually just creates more of a veil over the hearts of people, uh, to Corinthians. So, so Christ is the end of that law. He, 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 com he completes it. He completes that law perfectly so that righteousness comes to all who believe. Now, righteousness is not just a, um, a forgiveness of your sin. Well, once I was a sinner, now I'm righteous. Righteousness is it's, it's the outworking of the very essence of, of God's governmental reign in your life. That's what righteousness actually is. It, it's the very essence, it's, sorry, it's the outworking of the very essence of God's government in your life. And I know we don't like the word government because we're Australian and we, we have an issue with, with anybody leading, guarding, or being ahead of us or even above us. And so we love to chop down people at the knees and bring them back down to, to we're all equal. We're all, all equal. However, we all have different tasks. And some people are called to lead and govern. Ultimately, there is no democracy in heaven. Just so, by the way, you don't know. You don't get to vote who God is and you don't get to vote on what his government looks like, what his regulations, principles blessings are. You have to come under the monarchy. He is the ruling king. Amen? So what he says goes, and, 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 and there's no chopping of him down. 
But we, so we don't like that word of government. But however, if you are going to live in righteousness, the government of God is going to rule in your life. Colossians 2, sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 56 says this, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin, listen to this, is the law. Hear me again. We'll hear the scripture again. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Now, let me say this. As a preacher, if I begin to bring a, a remastered law into a moral code and then preach it from the pulpit to try to get you to conform to a form of righteousness, guess what happens? The power of sin is the law. So I, what I do is I empower the dead nature. I empower the condition of sin, which is actually rebellion. Sin is rebellion. Sin is not an act. They're not, you, sinning is not actions. Put it that way. There is no, sin is a state of being, as I've mentioned before. So, so sin is, is idolatry. Adam and Eve, when, when, we, when, we, when we make sin a moral failure, we warp the gospel. We warp what it is. So let me ask you, did Adam and Eve morally fail? Well, they, could, they didn't. I don't see it in the scripture that Adam and Eve failed anything morally. They were naked in the garden. There was nothing wrong with being naked. They were husband and wife. They were sleeping together. There's nothing wrong with that. There was no moral failure. What there was is there was a failure in their worship. They went from worshiping God to worshiping self. Idolatry. Through that system came in the nature of sin, which then outworks itself in a whole lot of failures. Moral failure being one of them. But the, but the, but the, the moral failure is, is simply the symptom, the cough or the sneeze or the tummy ache of the underlying condition. And if you go to, I hope none of you are doctors, if you are, forgive me, but if you go to the, the general medical industry, they'll just give you something to deal with the symptom. What's that? You've got a cough, take the cough medicine. You've got a bad tummy, take this tablet. You've got a headache, have this. You know? But if you go into more of a natural route of things, they'll go, let's find what the underlying cause of your problem is. Oh, you've got a hormonal issue. Oh, you've got a blood issue. Oh, you've got this kind of problem in your gut. You need to have it cleansed. And they'll deal with the symptom. Sorry, they'll deal with the condition, not the symptom. And then the whole person becomes whole. That's what Jesus does. He dealt with the condition. Okay, And when we bring forward a moral code, a law, however you want to put it, it empowers that negative dead condition. It brings it to the forefront and it gets us to focus in on it. And when we're focusing in on it, we're not focusing upwards towards him. So worship, friends, I want to say this. We must be very cautious and very careful that we do not bring the, 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 the struggles of humanity, the individual, the pains, the agonies of a person, into our time of worship. What we need to do is bring our worship up towards God in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of the issue. What we often do is we bring down the thing and focus on, on, on the problem. What's wrong? Oh, have you got a heavy-heartedness or you've got an issue in your life and you know, it's creating all this. Then we want to, in our times of worship, that doesn't bring freedom. What happens is in the midst of my problem, I'm able to stand up and worship God. And in doing so, the destruction of that, that, that problem is, is pushed to the wayside because my worship is no longer around my condition. 
You see, when we have a wrong understanding of what sin is in the first place, what it does is it starts to impact all of our life. So our worship times become ministry to people times. No, our ministry to people times are separate to our worship times. Because if we start to minister to people in the time of worship, we're not worshiping. And when we're not worshiping, his, his kingdom is not being established. And the, and the enemy wants to do everything he can to get you from worshiping God. Anything he can. In the beginning, he got them to eat from the tree to take their focus from God towards self. And the fall of man came instantaneously. If, you, if you're feeling excited about what I'm saying, you can say amen. <laughs> Colossians 2 verse 13 to 15 says this. And you, listen to the and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, may God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, with its legal demands. He, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now listen to the next line. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him or at the cross. So listen to this. This is how God deals with the, with the, with the accuser. Okay? What does Satan do? Accusers. What does he want to do? Accuse you. What does he want you to do? Worship self. What does he want you to do? Worship anything but God. What does he want to do? He wants to warp and, and, and tarnish your view of the incredible victory of not only what Jesus did at the cross, but of who he is as the Messiah. Okay? So what is, how does God deal with that? He does this. He cancels your record of debt so that the enemy can't accuse you because he can't come in and go, oh, hang on a minute, Brad's got this debt because it's been canceled. So that if, if God says as the judge in the throne room, because who knows, that in the throne room of God right now, there is, there is judgment going on constantly. It's like a, it's like a law, it's like a, court, a courtroom. It's the courts of God. Okay, And you've got one who advocates on your side who is Jesus. So that he's, he's constantly there, and every time an accusation comes, he goes, paid Sorted, solved, issued, no problems, they're in me. Done, okay? So when, when Satan comes in and he goes, Almighty God, because he has to, to Satan, no, no matter how arrogant Satan is, he's got to acknowledge God for who he is. Even he knows that. We sometimes struggle. Gives him the, the paper and he goes, he has Brad's debt. This is what he did this week. And God takes it and he looks at it and he goes, it says that that's been canceled. See you later. It's out. It's gone. It's finished. Okay? So if that's how it's going down in the courtrooms of heaven, why is it not going down in the, in, from the pulpits and churches? If we are to mimic what's happening there, why is it not happening here? Good intentions? If they're not God intentions, they can be as good as any human being wants them to be. The outcome will never, ever create freedom. The next point we know was the resurrection, and I've spoken about it so much, but so I'm not going to go into it. Suffice to say that in, in, um, in Romans 4, verse 23 to 25, he says this, we know that the resurrection of Jesus meant that he was now no longer dead, which put him in line to be the Messiah, the, the, the anointed king, correct? Okay. Another thing took place that had to do with you. It says here, but the words 
it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. This is, that's an interesting concept right there, because oftentimes we... No, I won't go there. There's a lot of sentimental thinking that I don't want to destroy at the moment. It's, not, it's pointless. It will be counted to us who believe in him, God, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered, listen to this, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, but he was raised for our justification. Now let me tell you, Paul goes on to write about this in other books and other letters. If Jesus was not raised, you would not be justified. Okay? The raising of Christ brings with it your justification. That is a key element. That's why it was so important that Jesus came back to life. He didn't just die. Because if he died, he may have been able to pay for your sin. But if he wasn't, if he wasn't raised, he wouldn't, be able to pay for, he wouldn't be able to give you justification. You wouldn't be a new creation. The old man would be dead, and that's simply where you would lay. That's the only part I wanted to say there, because if you want to hear more about the resurrection and how important it is that in the presentation of our gospel, our good news, we have to make sure that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the, at the front, because that's what the apostles taught. That was, it, was, it was the key element that Jesus got raised. That, that is key above all keys. Like we're talking now about how, what happened when he died at the cross, and it wasn't just the forgiveness of your sin, because that's what we've done. We've created a, a, a sin management gospel. But it was actually powerful in creating new man. And you go back and re-listen to the last few weeks. The ascension. We've we, we, we got to note that Jesus, when he left us, when he ascended, the ascension was key because the ascension physically in the body was that Jesus as a human being, as a man who had laid aside his deity, came back to life, was actually taken up into heaven in the flesh. Friends, hear me. They ate with him. They touched him. That that Jesus is the one that went up into heaven before their very eyes to be seated at the right hand of the throne. The ascension was key in the very fact that Jesus himself said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. When I get to the Father, which is, the right hand of, which is at the right hand of the throne of majesty, and I'm seated there as the king, the Messiah, this is the language, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to send you someone. Okay, He's going to be not me, but just like me. And he is going to come and he's going to be inside of you. And what he's going to do is he's going to bring to remembrance everything that is mine. Now, when you read the Gospels, there's certain revelation that comes when you read the four counts of the Gospel. Let me put it that way. There's certain revelations that they speak of and they'll say things like, although they did not know that yet because Jesus had not yet been raised. Do you, do you ever remember reading that? Okay, so what happened is Jesus was saying things to them. It was going into them. They weren't understanding it because they had not yet received the Holy Spirit who would come down and take the scriptures that Jesus was quoting and transform it into the word of life. So when Jesus goes up to the throne and he sits down, they're all sitting there waiting, 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 waiting. And then suddenly there's a sound like a rushing wind. And fire, tongues of fire come and rest on each one of them. And they are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? That for them was what created the greatest movement ever known to mankind. Because it was at that very moment that they realized he is the Messiah and he has reached the throne 
And he is now seated on that throne, which means it is eternally established and nothing can shake it. And the evidence of that was the one he said he would send came, which means he had sent him, which means he had reached his final location, which was the throne. And we live in that today. That's why it's very disturbing to me when we, when we diminish the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to preach on the Holy Spirit today. I would love to do that in, in the future when I have an opportunity to talk about Him, who He is, the person, the Holy Spirit, and how He operates in our lives. Because he, he, He's been grossly misunderstood in Reformed circles. I'm, you know what I mean? You might say, oh, Brad, you've got an issue with Reformed people. Yes, I do. I'm sorry about that. I love Reformed people. I don't like the theology. You know what I mean? It's the same as the issue that, that Jesus had with the Jews. He, he loved them, but he had an issue with, with their theology. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? As long as we do it in a respectful and righteous manner and we bring forward truth. I don't want to destroy reformed people. I just don't. I want to destroy some of the things that they stand on because it blocks people up and it doesn't bring forward the truth of the gospel and it's not bringing the truth of the, 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 the church into freedom. And therefore, we're living in a defeated mentality, waiting on the rapture seat to go to this heaven place that we're all supposed to be going to one day. Rather than understanding we rule and reign on earth now on God's behalf to bring forward his righteousness, his government, his rulership, his love. And one day when we all raise back to life, he will raise us and give us new bodies on, on, and we will live on a new planet. This planet will be renewed. I don't know what that looks like, but it's going to be spectacular. And the garden will be, will be everywhere because right now the garden is in you. You are the temple of the living God. Therefore, God dwells in you. He's not separate from you and then comes to you whenever. When you're good, he comes. When, he's, when you're not, he goes. And I've heard the... the, 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 the he's not a, he's not a, he is not a dove. That's flighty when you sin. Oh, you're doing something wrong. I'm going to fly over here. That's not how he is. I spoke before on what the dove represents. And the dove represented coming back and landing on the ark because the last time a dove left the ark, it left Noah's ark. And we don't see the, the, the dove coming again until it lands on Jesus, which was a, a picture that Jesus was the ark to bring about salvation. Bang, there you go. Okay. I couldn't hold back, Benny. I'm sorry, mate. I had to. I couldn't leave them hanging. You know what I mean? You've got to give them something to go home with. That's exciting. Okay, the unveiling of glory. Now, I want to read through a chunky portion of Scripture here. Corinthians 2, verse 3 to 5. This is now so key. The unveiling of God's glory. Now, the glory, I also hear that in, even, in, even in our, in our um, let me say this, in reform circles, they don't understand the glory. In, in charismatic Pentecostal circles, we, we understand it to some degree, but, but for us it's been limited to it feels good in a meeting. Oh, the glory of God was here. Oh, the glory. Or oh, there's a cloud that manifests or some sort of sign or, 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 or a healing or, you know, the worship was good today. Did you feel the glory? You know what I mean? There's a bit of a whew, shaky hand. But the glory is the very essence of God's being. In the tabernacle, <clears throat> inside a box, with all these little things, the ark, God's very essence, His with mankind on earth, because remember, God can do whatever he wants to do. That's, that's what makes him God. So, so although he is, he is all eternal and he is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere, he is still, he contained himself. He, he subjected his presence on earth with man to being inside of a box behind some curtains. And that there was the very glory, the very essence of God's being with mankind. That only one person, only once a year, could actually enter into that place and actually experience that presence. 
2 Corinthians says this. Now we know that in, that in, in Jesus, the, where did God want mankind to live? In the garden. And from the garden to go out at will and regenerate the earth. Govern the earth. Where we went, life would come. Why? Because we were in the garden with, in the presence of true life. And when, we, when, when Adam and Eve stopped worshiping God and entered into a state of, of sin, then they were shut off on that very presence. Jesus comes and he tears the very veil, the very curtain that separated mankind from God. Okay? And God's presence no longer, um, God, put it this way, God's presence was never contained. God chose to contain his presence. Man couldn't contain it. God chose that. But in that very moment, God said, now I'm coming back to the original state of being, which is that my presence, my glory, would, would go out, that all of mankind could um, experience it, could walk in it, could feel the pleasure of it, would, would, would live under the government of it. And you know, David had something of that, which was a picture, David being a picture of the new covenant, is that he, he didn't take the ark and stick it in a tabernacle. He put it in a tent that had three sides, and the one side was open so that they could look upon the presence of God, which they weren't allowed to do before. Even when they carried the ark, they had to cover it and then carry it in the presence of people. They couldn't even look at, at, the, at the ark. Okay? But David somehow lived in this, in this dispensation of grace within an old covenant. Isn't that just incredible? And God, God says that he was going to restore David's fallen tent. He wasn't going to restore Moses. Not the tent under Moses, but the tent under, under David, which was that, that all of mankind, including Gentiles, could look at the presence of God, could experience the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5 says this, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficient... Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read out of the bar. I, don't want, to, I want to get from the beginning. 2 Corinthians 3, right? Let's start from verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? I like that. Different preach, but I like that. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Jesus, from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, listen friends, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, so which, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, listen to the language Paul's using here. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. 
Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if it was being brought to an end, so for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory? Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. We prayed for our minds this morning, right? But their minds were hardened. For to this day, listen to this scripture, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Friends, when we preach, when we, when we remaster the Old Covenant, and we bring it into a set of moral codes that need to be obeyed and applied in order to, dot, 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 a veil covers the minds of the church so that we cannot see, experience, live in the glory, in commas, the very essence of God's nature and being. What a tragic place for us, the church, to be, that we are not even living in the very essence of our Savior, our King, our Messiah, our God Almighty in His very presence, in His essence, in everyday life. Every time we try to apply a, a remastered law to our lives to get closer to God, it only pushes us further from Him. And it sickens me to the tummy, and has for many years now, that so many preachers put that on their people and expect that their church is going to be set free. And all that happens is people become masters at disguising their issues because they don't want it to come out because they're sick and tired and it's too hard to actually try to attain to this so-called righteousness by our own efforts. Friends, it was never, you were never able to do it. That's why Jesus did it for you. So why do we now expect that what Jesus finished at the cross is something that we somehow have to continue? Go read the book of Galatians. You, who began with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Oh, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Who has put this spell on you? It was before your very eyes that you saw Jesus Christ portrayed as crucified. Now, the Galatians didn't see it. When he speaks about that, it was a message that he had proclaimed. He had so wonderfully proclaimed the good news and the victory of what Jesus obtained at the cross that it was as if they were standing there witnessing it themselves. And yet, they try to now attain their goal, which is what? To live out God's purposes for them by human effort. Then he goes on to say, did you receive the Spirit by following the law or by faith? Well, it was by faith. So then why try to obtain it by following the remastered law? That's where I have an issue, a big issue, because we are speaking about the freedom of human beings for whom the Messiah put aside his life, was raised back to life again in order to purchase those people to become a part of his family, and we are leaving them outside. And Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He said, you have the appearance of being a house on the outside, but on the inside you are filled with dead men's bones. 
And when a dead man, when you touched a dead man's bones, it made you unclean. And he was saying you were inviting people to come into your home because you had this portrayal of a whitewashed, of a whitewashed facility, which was a house. Come into my house and you touch the dead bodies and you are unclean as you sit and dwell and eat in that home. Because when you got invited to someone's home in, in Hebrew culture, you got invited to a meal. So he's saying you're inviting people into your homes to come and sit and meet and fellowship with you. But at the same time, they're touching the bones of dead people, which is making them unclean on a daily basis. Oh, that's a shock to me because I'm telling you, I've sat in churches. I was a leader in a church, a deacon, serving hard, serving well, doing the best I could to, to bring people into the Freedom, so-called freedom of God, by putting on them this remastered moral code that we thought they had to fulfill. And I sat there, and I realized once I left that house that all we did was make people unclean. No one was free. People thought they were free. When they were there on Sundays, they portrayed freedom. But when they went out, they were not free because we had never dealt with the cause, the issue. We dealt with the symptom. And as long as everyone didn't smell like alcohol because they had taken their mints, brushed their teeth, had a shower, they were all looking clean, it didn't matter if the night before, two nights later or three nights later, they were getting drunk and broken and couldn't get out of um, the addictions that they had and their marriages were broken, but on Sunday they all played happy family and they had their kids sitting at their feet and it was all fun and games, but when they went out there was dishonor, um, there was disloyalty, that's happened on a weekly basis, but we had a church of 350 people that on Sundays were attending and they all looked like they were walking in the freedom that Jesus had paid for. What an absolute farce. Do you think that brings pleasure to God? No. What does he want? Freedom. Sons and daughters walking in relationship with each other, free, open to say, hey, I've got an issue. But hey, why are you going to say I've got an issue if there's going to be some sort of punishment that is going to come your way to bring you back into alignment? So I'll hide my issues. Because I don't want to be someone who has to continuously be dealt with in a harsh manner. That's never going to bring life to me in the first place. And I'm not living in the glory of God because the glory of God is being veiled to my mindset because I'm, I'm having the remastered old covenant put in front of me on a daily basis. I don't want to go see the pastor because I know what he's going to say. I had the leader of that church give me a list of stuff every Sunday. I kid you not. I'm not... I'm not I'm not blowing it out of proportion, but every Sunday, because they were priming me to become a leader. Why? Because I was the drug addict who dealt drugs and was the brokenness of person. So what a great candidate to one day become an elder in the life of the church. That's just, you know what I mean? It shows the victory of our church. We, we brought this drug addict bloke out of the bushes and, you know, he was dealing drugs and taking drugs. And look at him now, he's the leader of a church. And so every Sunday after the meeting, I would go and sit with, after the tea and coffee, while everyone was packing up, I'd sit with the elder and he'd sit there and he'd go, okay, mate, listen, these are the things that we need to deal with this week. And he'd give me two to three things. The one time I actually said to him, it was quite funny. I sat there and I said to him, mate, why don't you do this? Just give me a list of 20 things and let me go away for a month and deal with it. That's exactly what I said. And this is what he said to me. Are you getting smart with me? Because that's what I'm like. I just challenge the status quo all the time. And I said, no, I, honestly, it saves us time every Sunday because I want to go hang out and have coffee with people. But over here, I'm sitting getting the three things I've done wrong this week. Or, you know, I held the microphone like this the first time I held it and I got addressed for that. Because what do you think? You're some sort of gangster up there. You hold the mic like this. That, that's how I was spoken to. I kid you not. The first time I led worship, he's like, look, you think you're this rock star? I'm, I'm removing you from leading worship. It was, that's how we were dealt with. Why? Because we had a warped understanding of what the issues were. So we tried to deal with everybody's symptoms, but no one was free. What a tragedy. 
By the way, that church doesn't exist anymore. Why doesn't it exist anymore? Because everyone inside was still dead, and dead people are going to go nowhere but the graveyard. It's a sad truth. It, it, it grieves me because I gave my life to help serve that church. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through the Messiah is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, then the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, we, we quote that all the time, we love that, it's on your fridge magnets, you know what I mean? It's on our Christian cards. But do we live in the reality of that? Where the Lord is, there is freedom. Which works the other way. Where the Lord is not, there is no freedom. So wait, let, me, let, let me, I want to say this to you. Read through Revelations. Jesus is sometimes outside most of our churches. He's not, he's not inside. And if he's not inside, do you have freedom? I'm just going to throw that out there. I know it's heavy, but we have to, we have to throw shock and awe. The, the, the Hebrews would use uh, idioms. They'd use harsh words. It, uh, idiom is a, is, a, is a form of teaching to shock people. Like, like for example, Jesus tells a story about, about a shrewd manager, this manager that's doing underhanded deals, and he, and he praises him for that. That's an idiom. The people, what? Are you, are you praising the fact that someone does underhanded deals to gain some status for themselves so that they're looked after when they get fired from their job because they were, they were doing underhanded things in the first place? And that's what Jesus would use to shock people. It's a, it's a form of teaching. He would say things like, if he'd use words like hate. If you don't hate your mother and father, you cannot be my disciple. We use the word hate in a different mentality, but he uses those idioms. So sometimes you've got you to shock and awe people to actually get them to wake up. It's like putting them in cold water, freezing cold water when they just wake up in the morning. It's like, bang, what? Because they've been asleep for so long. And when they wake up, they wake up with a shock. I often like to do that. So I'll drop something in. I'm saying to you, according to Scripture, Jesus isn't in every church. And where Jesus is not building his church, let me tell you, he's not obligated to be there. That's why it is so key that we understand and honor the word of God to make sure that the truth of that word is being proclaimed so that Jesus himself is in and amongst us all the time in your life, in our church. Because the last thing you want is to go down the road for 20 years and then suddenly realize him turning around and saying, I stood there knocking at the door. And he's got no problem with saying that because he said it to one of the churches. I was standing knocking at your door but you wouldn't let me in. So I just ministered out in the streets. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding, which means we, behold means fixated, okay? We all, with unveiled faces, are fixated or beholding the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, now let me tell you, the prerequisite for, for being transformed into the same image is this, that we are beholding His glory. We are, we are focused on the very essence of His being, on all of who He is. Without us being fixated, beholding Him, then you are not transformed. Because why? Because you are obviously beholding something else. Do you understand it? You've got to read the text properly. We can't just read them because it's, it's, nice, it's a nice read and then some of these sound good, so we stick it on the fridge magnet. 
or, you know, or we, we crochet it into one of our little shawls and stick it on the wall in a frame, or we write it on someone's card and bless you, you know, we, uh, with, a, with the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom, and we are being transformed. No, we are being transformed into His likeness and image when we behold Him, when our focus and our attention is solely on Him. We are being transformed into the same image. What image? The same image is Jesus. And we go from one degree of glory to another. It's a a continuous journey that we take. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I have nothing more, no more points. And like I said to you before, there are many people that could probably add more points to that. The conclusion for me is this. In wrapping it up in five minutes, okay? The conclusion is this. A warped understanding of the gospel, sorry, a warped understanding of the issue, the fact that we make sin a a, a moral failure rather than a a state of being, a a human disease, a nature that we inherited, idolatry, worship of self, focusing away from God towards ourselves. Because we have made sin an issue of moral failure, our gospel has become a, 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 a set of regulations towards moral success. And, and, and the event of the cross was simply there to transition you from your moral failure into a, 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 an ability to deal with your moral issues with this so-called power of God. However, the cross in most teaching doesn't actually deal with that fact. What the cross does is it transitions you from being out to being in. But there's a journey of being in where you need to still follow the remastered law in order to become more righteous so that you reflect the image of God and that God is then pleased with you. And so all of our preaching on this side of the cross is all around the fact that you need to do better, make sure you're not failing over there, uh, speak to the pastoral team who will help you deal with the, the moral failures that you have on a daily basis. And over here, it's to teach people that you're a sinner and you need to go to heaven because that's what our message is. It's about going to heaven. It's not about the fact that we rule and reign in life, that Jesus is the exalted king, that he's ruling for all of eternity, that the devil has been defeated. None of that stuff is here. You are out and and now you need to be in. And if you're out, you're going to go to hell. But if you're in, you're going to be whisked up one day like a little ghost when you die and you're going to go to heaven. But while you're here, this is the moral code you've got to follow. That there, friends, is 90% of the church in the world today. In doing so, we diminish the gospel itself, Jesus, what he did. And we also diminish the crucial event that actually transitions human beings from being out to being in, but not just the fact that being in is going to heaven, but being in is being in Him and being inside of His kingdom and being one with Him and then living out as disciples His governmental rulership as ambassadors of Christ to take back that which was lost, which was our planet, which He gave to you, which you should rule. You should be ruling in your home, not the devil. And when you've got moral codes, you've got to try, and then you try and keep your kids. Oh, your kids have to follow the moral codes because that's what's put on us. And so what happens is you've got this disorderly, warped understanding of what this kingdom life should be like and how to get there rather than repenting and living in the fullness of this new nature love. And so to conclude, we, we, we need to repent of what we understand sin to be, repent of what we think the cross did, which was simply removing our... our um, 
or sorry, taking, not removing our sin, but taking us from being out to being in. And then we're renewing what this resurrected life actually looks like. Living in the established glory, presence of God in our everyday lives. And that there is a different journey altogether to what we've always known it to be. It's not about behavior modification, but it's about teaching people who they are in Jesus so that step by step, all of the things that they once held onto in their minds are put aside and we are opened into a, rela- an, an, a, a we are, sorry, we are brought into an open relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's all it's about. It's about wa- people walking in a relationship with their Father and, and, and doing it alongside each other. That's what family is. That's what church is. Church is not a place you go. You go, oh, we're going to church on Sunday. No, you're not. You're going to a gathering of the church. And together, community, we are a family that work out this unashamed, no judgment. That means that when you are struggling with an issue, you can confidently come up and say to one of the leaders or anyone in the community, for that matter of fact, because, hey, if we're a family, you don't have to always go and burden the leaders about it. You can actually go to someone that you might see and trust and go, you know what, man? This area of my life, there's no freedom there. See how the language changes? Oh, man, I'm failing. Man, this area of my life, there's no freedom. I want that freedom. I want it. I don't want to live with that cigarette or that, uh, that substance or that um, emotional issue or that anger issue, whatever it may be. I don't care, whatever it is. I don't want to live with that in my life because I know that it's been taken away. But I'm struggling in my mind to get to that place. Can you help me? Can we walk together? Can we pray together? Can you give me some more scriptures that we can read over and, and have that renew my mind? Because as we wash, as you read the text, it washes you like the word. It wash, I tell you, the word washes you like water, sorry. And that's our job. Our job is to wash one another, not take the filthy sponge out of a dirty bath and then try to you know, baptize somebody on their head and all this filth goes all over them. That's what a lot of the preaching is about. But we want to take the truth of the word and we want to wipe the stains away. Isn't that freedom? So now you can come and say, hey, listen, I've got this issue and I want to be free. Now there's a victory. Now we're already in a victory walk because there's no shame. You remove shame, well, that's the first step to victory. Amen? So why don't you put your, head, your hand on your head again? Because This is the biggest issue for us, right? Your hearts are good. Paul even says that. I read the, the, the misrepresented scripture from Romans, and Paul's talking about this internal struggle between, his, you know, between the law that, was, that he knew was right and, and, and the fact that his nature of sin was still conflicting with that. We have a similar issue, but it's between our hearts and our heads, right? So, Father, again, we just, this is something we should probably pray every day when you wake up in the morning. Brush your teeth and stick your hand in your head. And say, I just declare that the foul, stinking thinking shall be removed. And that my mind and our minds today, Lord, would come into a place of repentance. The word repentance is the word metanoia, which metanoia speaks of the mind, doesn't speak of anything else but the mind. That, that we will turn from our wrong thinking towards the reality of the word of truth that we see revealed in the scriptures. And that that turning would create the unveiling of our minds and our hearts so that we would walk in and experience and see the very essence of your being, which is your glory. And as we continue to look towards you, beholding you, we will be transformed into your image. 
one step at a time. Lord, I, I declare over this community that there is freedom. You know, all the things we try to minister to, the heaviness or the walls that lock us in, all of that's actually really got to do with the mind. None of it's got, got to do with much else but the mind. If your mindset is renewed, which the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not through the obedience of the law or the rules and regulations. It's be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Lord, as our minds are renewed, we know that the natural consequence is the renewing, sorry, is the, is the, is the transformation of our lives. So I pray today for renewed minds and transformed lives. And that there would be an excessive amount of joy that would come over us. Even the happiness aside, we don't we want joy, Lord. Even in the midst of troubles, turmoils, things that we've got to face, which are normal life circumstances, the joy of our God would always remain in our hearts. And that would bring strength before, because we know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Father, I pray that condemnation be broken off of people now. Right now. Condemnation be broken off of people. You are the one, Holy Spirit. The Bible says that you convict the world of sin but you convict us. And convict means to convince the mind of truth, by the way. The convict, you convince our minds of truth of righteousness, of our right standing before God. I pray that you would convince us, convict us of our righteousness. Convict us of our sonship. Convict us of our freedom. Convict us of the true life that you give to us. Convict us of your life as our King and Messiah. And as we are convicted and we embrace that form of conviction. Our lives will be transformed. And through the transforming of our lives, the freedom that is found in you alone comes to us, to us as a community, not just as individually, but as a whole community church. That would come to us. And the people that surround us in this neighborhood would be drawn to the light that shines from inside of this place, inside each one of us, because they will taste of the life of the Lord, and they will see that it is good, and they will want it, because they were created to desire it and live in it. May that be our form of evangelism, that people are drawn to the light that comes from in us, because we are living so free, so content with you, yet still hungry for more, because we know that the journey this side of eternity continues on a daily basis, but we move from glory to glory. In the name of the nature, the character, and the authority of Jesus, the Messiah. We ask of this, and we say amen. Let it be so. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to the series. I really pray, and, and I really hope, and I do, I pray before I preach, I, I do, during the week, and that this would really be an impact. I know that I, I drop bombs, and, I, and that's just the way I am, and God's created me that way. I, I don't do it, I, oh, I try not.